Back now with more of Lake Effect, I'm Mitch Tyke. And I'm Bonnie North. When the lead and copper rule was first issued in 1991, it put federal limits on the acceptable amount of these metals found in drinking water. Cities started testing their water. Researchers experimented with chemicals that could inhibit the corrosion of pipes, the main source of contamination. But for some cities like Madison, Wisconsin, that simply was not enough. After extensive testing, it was found that Madison's water could not be fully controlled without removing its lead pipes. So in 2001, the city took an uncommon step. It removed the pipes. Abigail Cantor was the first person to sound the alarm. Cantor is the president of Process Research Solutions, a consulting firm that specializes in drinking water quality. She spoke with Lake Effects Joy Powers and starts by explaining how lead gets into the water itself. Lead and copper are not typically found in the source water. They get into the water because of the interaction of the drinking water with the piping materials. So this regulation has to do with how you work with that interaction to minimize the amount of lead and copper in the water. When was that created? It was first published as a regulation in 1991. One thing I want to say about the lead and copper rule is that It has a fundamental flaw, and that is it's oversimplistic. It doesn't acknowledge the multiple factors by which lead and copper leave uh, piping materials and get into the drinking water. That's where we start when we begin to talk about lead in any city's drinking water, is that we're dealing with a rule that even after all of these years, it it doesn't quite address all of these factors that can potentially affect the lead getting into the water. So what was going on in Madison in the mid-90s? So 1991 is when the original rule was published, and all water utilities had to go through their first sampling event to determine if they were in compliance with the rule. Now, the lead and copper rule prescribes a certain way of sampling residences and coming up with whether they're in compliance or not. This is one of the debatable issues about the rule as to how realistic that sampling is in determining if a city is controlling the lead or not. But besides that fact, every city had to go through the same sampling protocol And Madison found themselves just on the other side of compliance. So they had to then do studies to figure out what corrosion control chemical they could put into the water to control the lead. And that's that's where I got involved is I was the engineer that did the chemical testing. When you started to do the chemical testing, what did you find? I found that the corrosion control chemicals that were available then and essentially are the ones that are available now, they all had some very negative side effects for the Madison water. In fact, one of the chemicals increased the lead in the water four times over the untreated water. So I went to the general manager at the time and said none of the available chemical treatments work for Madison's water. 
I suggest that the lead pipes be removed. And that's that what started it all. I will say that statement spurred the general manager to figure out a way to get the pipes removed. There were many political and economic and regulatory impediments in the way, and he was able to overcome them all. So I think that the general manager of the Madison Water Utility at the time is the real hero of the story. Yeah. I mean, as someone who works within a budget, it's crazy to say like, oh, yes, we just need to take out all of the pipes. I have to imagine that people in Madison's government were going, that's not an option. How did, how did he, how did the city overcome these obstacles? Well, one obstacle was the way that the lead and copper rule is written. It states that a utility has to alter the water with a chemical to control the lead before removing any lead service lines, that a chemical treatment must be used and tried and failed before the city can use removal of lead service lines as their lead control strategy. So the first thing was to have some very long negotiations with the Wisconsin Department of Natural Resources. They, they are our state drinking water regulators, and they have to answer to the U.S. EPA. So these discussions also involved the EPA. Finally, there was a waiver for the city of Madison or the Madison Water Utility to skip the chemical treatment step and just remove the the pipes. The second problem is that service lines are owned both by the utility and the private property owner. There's a point in your yard where your water service line becomes your own property. The Wisconsin Public Service Commission, which oversees and regulates utilities, didn't want to blur the lines between public and private property, so they were adamant that no public funds could be spent on removal of private lines. And it's not just the Wisconsin Public Service Commission. This is typical throughout the country that we don't want to blur the lines between public and private property. And what they ended up doing was using income from cell phone towers placed on water storage tanks. They used that as the money to change out the pipes. In terms of the private lead service lines, individual property owners did have to pay some money, but it was subsidized up to something around $2,000 or I'm not quite sure of the numbers, but they came up with a way to subsidize the private line removal as well as the public. And for anyone who couldn't pay the extra, there was a fund to help them for people who financially couldn't afford it. So this was a a huge undertaking. How long did all of this take? It took them 11 years to replace around 8,000 lead service lines. And it was about $2,000 per pipe to replace. When we're comparing a city like Madison to a city like Milwaukee, 
What are the unique challenges that, that face a city like Milwaukee? First of all, Milwaukee has 77,000 lead service lines. So they would have to increase the pace of removing and replacing them from what Madison did. It's also a different type of water. Milwaukee uses Lake Michigan water. Madison uses water from 1,000 feet below the ground. So different water types, meaning different requirements for controlling lead. I would think that it, removing and replacing lead service lines, it's um, similar to Madison, but just on a lar- lot larger scale. It's going to take a lot longer to get to every building, and people need to have confidence in what they're drinking in the meantime. So that that's a major undertaking for a large city. As someone who works in water quality control, you know, there have been so many cities throughout the country that have had these lead issues. What do you think are, are the many obstacles that face these cities? And, and why are we hearing about it now instead of when we heard about it in Madison just after, you know, the LCR was passed? Well, this involvement with lead and copper release has really been going on actively since 1991. The public only hears about this when there's a major issue. So there's been two major national catastrophes that the public has heard about. The first was 2002, Washington, D.C. had elevated lead levels. And that's when it did spur a lot of activity in my field to not be so complacent about just following along the lead and copper rule to go back and look at how could the lead and copper rule be tweaked so that these problems don't occur. And then, of course, the latest was when the news came out about Flint, Michigan, which was a major catastrophe of lead release. So it's these major catastrophes that have really spurred more discussion and more momentum in changing and improving the rule. In my perspective, the issue has been that the lead and copper rule has that fundamental flaw that I talked about. It's overly simplistic, and so it leads water utility managers and engineers down the wrong path. They're not looking at all the things they need to be looking at, and the corrosion control chemical treatments can't address all of these factors. So it's a more complicated problem that has been oversimplified in the regulations, and that's why we haven't really advanced to the point that we need to have been at this point in time. What do you see as the path forward for a city like Milwaukee? First of all, Milwaukee needs to get those lead service lines replaced, both the public and the private. Uh, Any city needs to take out major sources of lead, and those lead service lines is the most major source of lead in, in water systems. Now, I have worked with water systems that have no lead service lines and still have a lead problem. There's lead in certain alloys in various buildings. 
but removing the lead service line, you, you can't stop there. You have, to, you have to start there, but you can't stop there. Another thing that I'll mention is that Milwaukee has been adding orthophosphate since 1996. And the orthophosphate most likely is lowering the dissolved lead release in the city. The, the chemical that they use is a premium chemical to use for this application. There's no other chemicals in the product that can divert um, the ability of the orthophosphate to do its job. They also use a very good dose, so most likely it is helping to lower the dissolved lead. The problem is that they might not realize the other factors that are at work in their water system that help to release the lead. And um, I can name two major factors that are most likely at work in Milwaukee, and if they were addressed, the lead levels could be cut down even more. The first issue is that chemical scales and biofilms on uh, pipe walls play a role in holding on to and releasing lead compounds. The orthophosphate that's added to control the dissolved lead doesn't affect these interactions between the uh, chemical scales and the lead. So a program of more efficiently removing chemical scales from water mains is needed. You need to remove it from the water mains because the chemical scales break loose and go into the buildings where they then interact with lead compounds in the buildings. Another issue is the microbiological aspect And I mentioned biofilms, which are materials that microorganisms excrete to attach to pipe walls, and it's very protective of their populations. First of all, those biofilms can hold metals, and when the biofilms slough off, the metals can now be in the water in particulate form. So that's another factor that needs to be flushed out of the system. In addition, there's the workings of microorganisms. They search for food and they produce uh, waste products from their food. And many of these what are called metabolic pathways produce chemicals that are corrosive to metals. And this does include lead. So these are aspects that need to be addressed in Milwaukee in I don't know to what degree they are being. Well, Abigail Cantor, thank you so much for joining us here on Lake Effect and sharing your expertise with us. My pleasure. Abigail Cantor is president of Process Research Solutions, a consulting firm that specializes in drinking water quality. She spoke with Lake Effect's Joy Powers, and you can listen to the rest of our Project Milwaukee series at wuwm.com.